invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. What do we do when our obedience to God brings about harsh results? It's one thing to be faithful to God when trouble comes. It's another thing to be faithful to God when trouble gets worse. Job is a great example of this. As soon as his life was turned upside down, he went to his knees. And he acknowledged that the Lord is the giver of all things and the Lord is the taker of all things. And that the Lord still should be praised. Job had lost his children, his wealth, and in chapter 2, he lost his health. And yet, this would not be the lowest point of his life. He responded rightly when the trouble initially came. But as the trouble stayed and as the trouble got worse, it made it more difficult for him to respond rightly. His wife prompted him to give up on God. And his friends pointed the finger at him as if he were the problem for his struggle. And if that weren't enough, the trouble continued to go on apparently for months and months. And yet, What was Job's goal in all of this? It was to trust God. In in chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, Though He slay me, yet I will hope in Him. And the reason that Job could make such a powerful statement was because there was something more important to Job than his own personal comfort. There's something more important to Job than even his own life. And that's why he could say, Even though He slay me. And that that thing that was more important was his relationship with God. We also can accept the worst of circumstances and the worst ridicule from people when our primary concern in life is not our own personal comfort or even our life itself, but rather it is pleasing God through obedience. Moses had been put into a difficult situation which seems to be the story of his life. He started out in a difficult situation. He's put in the Nile River by his mother and could have very well been killed when he was discovered, but he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. She she wanted to care for him. At the age of 40, remember, he had grown up in the Egyptian household, in the Egyptian palace, and yet he found himself identifying more with the Hebrews, the Jews, rather than the Egyptians. And so one time he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow countrymen and he tried to protect this Jew by killing the Egyptian guard. But he was found out and he was forced to move to Midian. Well, it's in Midian at the age of 80 that Moses meets God at Mount Sinai. And he calls God calls Moses to deliver the people of Israel from the rule, the oppression of Pharaoh. So Moses has several responsibilities now that God has given him this call in chapters 3 and 4. And the call begins with him meeting with Aaron. Remember, Moses didn't want to do this. He said, find somebody else to do this. And so God says, fine, I'll send Aaron to you. And so the first responsibility that Moses has is to explain all of this to Aaron. The second responsibility is to go to the leaders of Israel. Go to them and tell them what I told you. If they don't believe you, show them the sign. 
the third responsibility is to go to Pharaoh. So Moses had his work cut out for him. And if he's going to see success in this, he's going to need to trust God, to, know, to, to believe that God knows what He is doing and that God knows exactly how the timing of these events will work out for His glory. Let me read our passage, which is the end of chapter 4 through uh, chapter 5. So chapter 4, verse 27 is where we'll begin. Chapter 4, verse 27. This is the Word of God. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, He will fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have have them cease from their labors. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it, so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it's the fault of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. 
For you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand and to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. God controls every part of our trials, including the timing of their completion or their removal. God controls every part of our trials, including the timing of their completion or their removal. Moses has two responsibilities right up front that I mentioned before. The first is to speak to Aaron and tell him everything that God had told him. The second is to go to the leaders of Israel. We see that at the end of chapter 4. And we see that that Moses meets Aaron there at the mountain. Remember, Aaron was living in Egypt. He probably was one of the leaders of Israel. That's why he was able to get free from Egypt and make a trip like this that would have taken a few days to get there. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. Because God had told Moses that Aaron was on his way. Remember, Moses said, please send someone else in verse 13. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So God tells Moses, Aaron is on his way. But what we learn here in verse 27 is that Aaron didn't just come because of a whim or something. It was because God had told him. Look at verse 27. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So prior to Moses having this excuse that he can't do it, God had already talked to Aaron knowing that Moses would reject him. Aaron's on his way. He makes it. He kisses Moses as was the custom in the day, likely on the cheek. And and he talks to him and Moses explains everything that God had told him. And so, so far, so good. Moses has taken the first step, which is to explain what God had called him to do, which is to deliver Israel. And Aaron would be a part of that. Aaron was in agreement with that. And, and was ready to help. The second thing that Moses had to do was to speak to the elders of Israel, verses 29 through 31. Verse 29, Moses and Aaron head over to Goshen, this area of Egypt where they would have been, and they meet with the leaders of Israel. Now remember, Moses was afraid of doing this. He, when God told him, you need to, to do this, Moses said, what happens if the people of Israel don't believe me? And that's when God gives them the three signs. And yet, what we find in verse 30 is that they agree with Him. Look at verse 30. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So, verse 31, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed low in worship. This couldn't have ended any better. This couldn't have taken place... In a, in a better sort of circumstances, they listen to Moses and Aaron and they respond. And in fact, they're grateful. God had promised that they would believe after He showed them the signs. That's why He gave them the three signs. The first was, throw your staff on the ground and it will become a snake. The second was, put your hand into your cloak and it will become leprous. And then put it back in and it will become clean. And then the third was, to take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground and it will become blood. So 
So, so far, so good for Moses. He, he's met with acceptance and approval by both Aaron and the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel. But he's got one more major task that he has to accomplish, and that is to convince Pharaoh that God demands that he let Israel go. But what Moses didn't recognize is that he wasn't really the one who had to convince Pharaoh. All he had to do was tell him to let the people go. Moses wasn't going to be the one who convinced Pharaoh. It was actually God who would convince Pharaoh. And he would do it through the signs that he would show, the plagues. It would finally convince Pharaoh to say, all right, get out of here. I don't want to ever see your face again. But Moses sees this as a very important task. And so in chapter 5, verses 21, 1 through 21, Moses is met, met with defiance by Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron, with all of this momentum, they've, they've convinced the elders of Israel that God's told them that, that they're going to be released from Pharaoh's rule. And so now with all this momentum, they stand before Pharaoh and it's time. And Moses and Aaron say to him, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. God has a purpose for His people Israel that they will be released from your oppression and that they will be released so that they can worship God. How should Moses and Aaron have expected Pharaoh to respond? God told Moses exactly how Pharaoh would respond. Turn back to chapter 4, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God would later go on to say that I'm going to perform my signs and wonders to him. You see, God... God knew exactly what was going to happen. Moses should have known exactly how he should have been met, uh, how his, his demand from God should have been met. And that's exactly what happened. Chapter 5, verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I'll never let Israel go. Pharaoh's defiance is seen very clearly. And his defiance is seen in his unwillingness to acknowledge God as Lord. Who, who is this Lord that you're talking about? I don't know who you're talking about. In fact, even if I did, I wouldn't care because I'm not afraid of Him. I'm not going to let Israel go. Don't come in here into my palace and tell me to let the people go. I'm not going to do it. Moses and Aaron still tried to convince him in verse 3. They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So they give a little bit further explanation. Here's the reason why God is demanding that you let His people go. Look at the end of the verse. Otherwise, verse 3, otherwise He will fall upon us with pestilence and with sword. Moses, when he says, God's going to fall on us with pestilence is probably talking about us, Moses and Pharaoh, you and me. We're going to have, we're going to have some sort of, of plague fall on us if we don't obey. God's going to be, bring catastrophe on you and on us if we don't do this. So, so let's do this. Now when he says that we, God's saying 
we need to go so that we can sacrifice to Him and in the wilderness. And it's a three days journey. The goal here, I hope you understand, is not to just take a, a short vacation, uh, a short time where they can worship God and then come back and be back under Egypt. That's not the point. The point is, is that the place where God wanted them to go was a three days journey and that's where they would stay or move from there permanently. They weren't coming back to Egypt. That's what Pharaoh should have recognized. It's going to take us three days to get there, so let us go now so we can get on our way. Verses 4 and 5, Pharaoh assesses the situation and basically says, listen, you, you too are creating an unnecessary problem. You are enticing my subjects to stop working. See, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, this is probably Amenhotep II, he recognized something that the previous Pharaoh didn't recognize. Remember, the previous Pharaoh didn't want more Israelites. He didn't want more Jews. So that's why he tried to kill them two times. He tried to increase their workload. It didn't work. They kept having more kids. They kept growing and expanding. But this Pharaoh, he liked more Israelites because he knew that as long as he kept them under his thumb, more Israelites meant more production. So he was happy to have more. But now that Moses and Aaron are standing there, apparently they stop working. And he recognizes that this is going to, to have a huge effect on his ability to, to increase his production. It was even possible that, that the people of Israel actually stopped working, not just the threat of stop, stopping work, but actually stopped work in order to hear the news of what would happen. Like, Aaron and Moses are going before Pharaoh. Let's, let's find out. You know, what happens? But whatever the case, Pharaoh had a problem. Moses and Aaron come in here to reduce the workload that's going on right now. And that's why he made this following ruling in verses 6 through 9. Pharaoh makes a ruling. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. In other words, we're going to make it harder for them to make bricks, but we're going to make it so that they have to make the same amount of bricks that they were making before. They have to have the same quota that they met before. And that's how Pharaoh increases their workload. He doesn't make them uh, require them to make more bricks. Instead, he takes away one of the elements that they needed. And that element was straw. We'll talk about uh, why straw is so important to the task when we get to verse 11. But the expected result of all this is that the people will recognize that Moses and Aaron are giving them basically some sort of an oasis. They're giving them some sort of mirage that, that, that they're trusting in something that's not going to happen. So we need to... Help them see, the people of Israel see, that Moses and Aaron are deceiving them. They're not getting out of here. Notice verse, uh, the end of verse 8. Because they're lazy, they cry out, let's go sacrifice to our, Lord, to our God. Verse 9. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them uh, work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. In other words, the words of Moses and Aaron. These are false words. They're, they're deceptions. In order for them... Not to be able to, uh, in order for them to uh, to move away from this deception, then he was going to increase the workload. You know, sometimes what happens is we stop working, we get distracted, we start thinking of other things, and Pharaoh's thinking this is happening to his Jews, his Israelites. 
So if I increase their work, they'll stop believing in Moses and Aaron. And so in verses 10 through 14, Israel's work is increased. And notice how Pharaoh passes down this message. It shows his defiance against God. He recognizes that this is a fight against God. Verse 10, So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh. Does that sound familiar? Look back up to verse 1. What did Moses and Aaron say? Thus says the Lord. Let my people go. Here's what Pharaoh says. Thus says Pharaoh. Let my people work. Right? These are my people. They're not God's people. And hear what I have to say. Because I am effectively their God. They need to follow me. Pharaoh is clearly in opposition to God. You think your God is going to tell me what to do? Let me show you how that works. Let me show you how, how life is changed as a result of what I do. See, your God's not going to do anything. And he required them to continue to do the work that they had to do, but without the straw that they were provided before. Notice verse 12. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The way that bricks were made was by combining clay and straw, chopped up straw, and this would provide some sort of a binding agent. It would actually strengthen the brick, make it uh, uh, stronger. But without the straw, these bricks would still have to be made with some sort of binding agent. It wouldn't meet the quality control test. These bricks would be too too uh, fragile, too too delicate, and so they would they wouldn't meet the quota. They couldn't just do it just with clay. So they had to have something. And so the, in verse 12, it tells us they went and gathered stubble. Now the straw was basically some leftover stalk from a harvest, perhaps of wheat or something else, and it was fairly long, between one and two feet long. And so they would take it and chop it up and mix it with the clay and it would make their bricks. But the stubble was the part that comes up from the ground, from the root up to a couple inches, and it would just stay in the field. When the sickle would come by, they would kind of swipe at the, the stalk and all that would be left is just a few inches of, of the stalk that was in the ground. And so in order for Israel to get this stubble, they had to do a lot more work. Instead of them having a pile of straw, grab it, chop it up, mix it with the clay... Now they have to go out into the field, dig up the, the, the little stubble from the ground, and then mix it with their, their, uh, their clay, and then somehow make the same amount that they did before. Obviously, they couldn't do it. And the taskmaster's job was to continue to press them. Verse 13, notice who they pressed. Uh, the taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel when Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today? So here's the taskmasters. That These are people hired by Egypt. These are Egyptians. They're over the people of Israel and they're, they're beating the foremen. All of the leaders of Israel that are out there, they're the ones getting beaten because their people aren't making enough bricks. Israel, as a result, these foremen go before Pharaoh in verses 15 to 19. And they appeal to Pharaoh saying, listen, we can't do this. We don't have straw like we did before. You want us to do a job. We want to do the job for you. But we can't do this. We can't meet your quota. It's not our fault. It's your fault. You took away one of our ingredients. Notice Pharaoh's response in verse 17. 
You are lazy. Very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work. For you will be given no straw. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. In other words, I'm not changing my mind. Get back to work. You're wasting time here. Figure out a way to get it done. Obviously, Pharaoh's point is to make it clear to them who was their boss, who was their God, so to speak. Who was it that they ought to listen to and trust? Foreman recognized in verse 19 that they were in big trouble. When they realized that Pharaoh would not agree to this, they recognized that this was not going to end well. If Pharaoh wasn't going to reduce their quota or provide straw for them, then basically they had been put into an impossible position. They would be unable to meet the demands of Egypt. And what was the result? What were the taskmasters supposed to do to them when they didn't meet it? They were supposed to beat them. And eventually these people would be beaten to death because of their inability to, to accomplish an impossible task. And so they do the only thing that they know how to do. Apparently they're coming out from this meeting with Pharaoh and they happen upon Moses and Aaron in verse 21. Uh, 20 and 21. Verse 20 reads, When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, to give them a reason to kill us. You've done this to us, Moses and Aaron. What's the matter with you? And I don't think Moses and Aaron were prepared for this. Remember their three main concerns? I think the first one was Moses was going to meet with Aaron. The second was he had to tell the people of Israel, the, the leaders of Israel. And then third was he had to meet with Pharaoh. Those were his three main concerns. But what he didn't factor in was that he was actually going to have uh, he's going to have backlash from the people of Israel themselves. That they were going to come after him saying, what are you doing to us? Leave us alone. We were better off before you came. The foreman, their basic point is, what you're doing cannot be from God. God would not want to bring more trouble on us. And I think the reason that they had this sort of mindset is because they have the same mindset that many of us have in our day. And that is that God never lets bad things happen to His people. God would never do this. So Moses and Aaron, please call off the dogs. Stop going after Pharaoh and demanding this. You're making our life more miserable. God would never want us to be miserable in this way. And so notice what Pharaoh or what Moses does in verses 22 and 23. When he's made aware of their frustration, he passes on his frustration to God. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to his people, uh, to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Lord, why did you send me here? Why did you do this to these people? Moses was disappointed with what God had called him to do. Ever since I came, he says, things have only gotten worse and you haven't done anything to deliver them. What was the assumption that Moses was making? It was that God would deliver them, but deliver them quickly. That it would be immediate. 
But God never promised that, did He? He said, when you go to Pharaoh, I will harden his heart and he will not let my people go. Moses thinking, I didn't realize it was going to cause more work for these people. I was expecting you to deliver them and to do it quickly. This is often our expectation when it comes to God fulfilling His promises. And we expect a trial to be finished, finished complete uh, immediately. We expect that God's going to answer our prayer, prayer right away. If He's going to answer it all, He's going to do it right away. We expect for God to end the injustices now, not to delay them. But God's timetable is much different from ours, isn't it? He often delays to give people time to repent. He often delays in order to cause us to depend on Him. He often delays in order to show us more clearly His greatness. And that's exactly what He's doing here. He's giving Egypt an opportunity to repent. He's delaying in order for the people of Israel to trust in Him more. And He's delaying in order to show His greatness. If God would have just extracted them immediately from Egypt, His greatness would not have clearly been seen in the long delay of the ten plagues and then the, the, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. You see, God's timing is often different from ours because He has different purposes. He has greater purposes in what He's doing. So what do we do when obeying God's Word doesn't work according to our expectations of timing? What, what do we do when we seek to obey God and the result of it is some sort of backlash on us? And it's one thing for Moses to receive opposition from his enemies. But it's another thing for him to be opposed by the people that he's trying to deliver, right? And yet that's exactly where Moses finds himself. So how do we handle situations where we are opposed by people when we are seeking to obey God. When we are seeking to obey God and it's not working according to our expectations, what do we do? We often hear people say in times of difficulty, times of trouble, I want to do the right thing. And that's a good statement to make, but there's some something deeper that needs to be understood. Because often we want to do the right thing, but for what reason do we want to do the right thing? Do you recognize that we could do the right thing, want to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. In our day, it's very popular to to consider the idea of the the apparent theory of karma that if someone does right, then good will come to them. If someone does evil, evil will come to them. And the problem with karma, obviously, is it's not biblical. It puts the, the individual in the driver's seat as if we are the final determining factor of all of our life. If we want good to happen to us, we simply just live a good life and good will take place. But the main problem with that mindset, especially when it is a Christianized version of karma, which is if I do good, God will bless me, is that it kind of obligates God to bless us in a way that He never promised to. Which is, I think, what Moses is thinking. God, I've done what you've told me to and you haven't blessed me. You haven't followed through on your promise. And the problem was that he's thinking in terms of immediacy, in terms of physical blessing, in terms of, uh, in terms of freedom. Perhaps sometimes for us it's financial prosperity. God, you haven't done anything. I've done all these 
things to obey you and I haven't gotten anything in return. And, you know, God does often bless us physically, financially. God does often remove burdens from us when we obey Him. But, but if that's all that we're after, just to get out of a difficult situation or to get into a better situation, then we will be disappointed when we obey because obedience often brings trouble. And obedience in times of trouble often brings greater trouble. It often delays the time in which God brings His deliverance. And Moses, I think, is trying to obey God. He's trying to do the right thing. But instead of it working, instead of it being successful as he expects, he meets opposition. Pharaoh not only rejects his request, he makes it worse on the people. And the people make it worse on Moses. He increases the workload, Pharaoh does. And the people of Israel just hate Moses even more. What about you? What happens when you face opposition because of obeying God? How do you respond to this? How are we supposed to respond as Christians when we seek to obey God and yet we're met with great opposition? And I would just suggest suggest to you several things. Number one, we need to recognize that what Moses did was good, and that is he went and talked to God. So we ought to talk to to God. When you are in times of trouble, when you are seeking to obey God and you are met with opposition, talk to God. God is going to respond in this passage, the passage that we'll look at next week, by reminding Moses and Aaron of His presence and of His promise to deliver. Talk to God. Number two, Deliverance often comes through greater opposition. Deliverance often comes through greater opposition. Keep in mind that in order to get the deliverance that we're looking for, which is removal of struggle, removal of pain, removal of this doubt and frustration, we often have to go through the door of greater opposition. You see, for us, we're asking for God to just remove us from this trial. Remove this trial from me. Just remove it from me. And yet for God, He's saying, here's how you're going to be delivered. Not out of the trial, but through it. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Deliverance often comes through greater opposition. Number three, recognize that there is something much bigger at stake than you. There is something much bigger at stake than you. At the center of this conflict is a battle between Pharaoh and whom? Is it between Pharaoh and Moses? Well, partially, but not ultimately. Is it between Pharaoh and Israel? Partially, but ultimately, it's between Pharaoh and whom? And God, right? Thus says Pharaoh, let my people work. He was completely opposed to God. So what that means is there is something much bigger at stake in your trial, your trouble, than you. See, God is at war with Satan in the trial that you are facing right now. In many ways, you, like Moses, are simply the messenger. And what happens often to messengers when they bring bad news? They get shot, right? That's why we have the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. 
And yet when we seek to obey God, we like Moses are often the same way. We're seeking to obey God and we get treated as if it's coming from us. We're coming on the authority of God here. Recognize that there is something much bigger at stake than you. I can encourage you in this way. When you go through trouble and you recognize, even when it lasts for a long time, that there is something bigger at stake than just you, it will give you greater focus and determination and dependence upon God than if you just consider, how does this affect me? It's not about you ultimately. It's about God. Number four, recognize that God is with you. Moses should have been reminded of the reassurance that God had given to him in chapters 3 and 4. Remember? Moses felt insecure, inferior, unreliable, and inarticulate. And God responded with, I am with you. Tell the people that I am has sent you. Here are three signs so that you'll know that it's I who sent you. And then I will be with your mouth. Those are his four responses. All of them are, Moses, I am with you. And believer, don't forget that in the times of trial. God has promised that to you, hasn't He? Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, Matthew 28, verses 18-20 And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't ever forget that God is with you. Number five, recognize that God's presence does not guarantee a removal of trouble. So what we're asking for from God is not a removal of trouble necessarily. We're asking for a, a, real, a, a clearer sense of His presence. And when we have that clearer sense of His presence, it doesn't guarantee a removal of the trouble. You see, God's never promised that we would avoid trouble. But He has promised that He would always be with us. Do you understand the difference? God is promising that when trouble comes and when it gets more severe, and by the way, we should expect that, right? It is through much hardship that we enter the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised at trouble coming to you. right? We should expect it. When it gets more severe, we need to recognize that God may not remove the trouble He may allow it to last for the rest of our life. But, know this, that God is with you and He will be with you all the way till the end. No matter how long the trouble lasts, you can be sure that God will last longer. He will be with you even when the trouble is gone. He will be with you during the deepest times of that struggle. God will be with you. Recognize that God's presence does not guarantee a removal of trouble. See, we have a God in whom we can trust because He controls all the circumstances of our life. And, and in these circumstances, He is working to magnify His own name. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's question to Moses and Aaron is, who is this Lord that I should obey Him? And that's going to be answered by God in a very powerful way. Moses Show them this next plague so that they know, so that the Egyptians know that I am God. You got a question, Pharaoh, about who I am? I'll show you who I am. I am the God of the universe. I control it all. Something that you, your magicians cannot do. 
See, God's delay in judging Egypt and delivering Israel was so that all of Israel would know that He alone is God and that all of Egypt would know the same. And I would suggest to you that in your trouble, God is doing the same thing. He wants you to know that He alone is God and that other people who are watching you go through your trouble and through your deeper trouble and through your extended trouble so that they know that God alone is God. We can't know all the answers of why God has allowed us to face each trouble that comes into our life. But we do know that He's painting a larger, more beautiful picture of His majesty and His mercy and His patience. And we know that while some of us, while some people bring about trouble into our lives to cause evil, God uses those things that were meant to be evil to be good for us. Right? They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so we can trust Him in that. Let's pray. Father, certainly there are some specific troubles that people in this room are facing and some troubles that have gone on for years and have have gotten worse and have gotten more difficult to bear. And Lord, the temptation for each of us is to turn away from You and to come up with some other idea and, and maybe question why You would do this, especially when it comes as a result of of someone's obedience. But Lord, we see in this story the bigger picture. We know how this all ends. And we know that what you were doing in this was was you were working to magnify your name to the people of Israel and to Egypt. And that Moses should have just recognized very clearly that you were with him and that your timing is not always the same as his timing. We can see that clearly in his life, but it's hard for us to see that in our own. And so we pray that you give us the eyes to see that you are at work within our lives, that, that this trouble that, that each person faces in here is, is not just about them, but that you're, you have something much larger at stake. Help us to trust you for the timing and the removal of the trouble. Help us to be willing to walk through trouble and to walk through even deeper trouble for the sake of your glory, knowing that you will lead us all the way and that you will be with us all the way. And in the end, Lord, we, we will give you the praise. Give us the strength to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to turn to hymn 76.